When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, hope all is well in your world. We are one week away from the launch of the Journey for Java podcast. Uh, basically, it's a side show from the Brenton on Tour podcast, but I'm not on tour anymore. feels a little bit weird to be calling it Brenton on Tour. I mean, I can tour around and look at different coffee shops. I can tour around virtually around the world, which I intend to do a little bit here. And bring some people back into the mix that were part of the original coffee cast that kind of got this whole thing going. A bit of updates here, how they're doing, plus new stories, new roasters, new cafes, new people in coffee that uh, want to come on and tell their story. Musicians, actors, who name, like, we'll just get them all on. Everyone, you know, seems to be connected by coffee. It's certainly something I've learned anyways through this journey. As uh, we gear up for the journey for Java, I'm going to rerun my review episode from the original Coffee Cast series. Uh, we did 10 episodes, you know, Dave Elson from Megadeth, Jeremy Gersey from Jay Gersey Coffee, the original Mocha Joe, Todd Kearns from Matuk and Slash's band, you know, breaking down the best Seinfeld coffee scenes. A lot of fun. One of the best roasters in the world with Tim Wendelbow, Lex Albrecht. Uh, champion cyclist, you name it. Loads and loads of people talking about their coffee journey, but also telling them a little bit about their story. So that's what we want, right? You can listen to it on your way to work, on the way home from work. I think we're going to go down that path. I think it's going to be more of a hit and run feel. They'll be long form, but I think it's going to be more, you know, you can listen to it on your way to work and on your way home from work and and kind of go with that approach. It seems to be super popular uh, amongst the people that... Uh, I've pulled, so let's try that out. I have got three in the can. Recorded one tonight with my good friend Jeremy Gersey, who is going to return and kick off the new series. He's going to give us an update as to what it's like to be a roaster right now in today's world. Is he still getting orders? Is he still getting requests? The guy, they use his hands in movies for for art, for latte art, and all this really cool stuff. Killer guy. Does uh, corn for coffee, um, you know, just an amazing little brand, uh, kind of like Rocket Fuel. They've uh, they've been hard at work at that. Uh, he does a lot of different things, and um, happy to have him back on. We're gonna do it in video and audio. The video portion, you're gonna be able to see the artwork in action, and uh, we're gonna catch up with him and uh, sort of see what's happening there. In the meantime, though, settle in. I'm gonna do a little review here of the first ten. Uh, you might have heard it before. I'm not sure. We've cut it down a little bit here to uh, for time. Try to keep your commitment level a little low. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't heard it, I won't go in. Listen to it. It's, it's a lot of fun. We, we did 10 episodes before with some great people with amazing stories. And I can't wait to fire it up again, which happens next week with my good buddy, Jeremy Garcia. So the journey for Java preview. It's the final one. We launch next week. Tell your friends. Get it out there. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, friends. Here we go.
it all started with my uh, blogging and attempt at, you know, educating people about my journey around the world, trying to find the best coffee in the world. And it led me to uh, a friend of mine who was writing and also blogging and also running DeanBlundell.com out of Toronto for Dean and had asked me to write about my journey. And so I thought, okay, cool. This could be cool. It gives me a bit of a creative outlet and I'll go ahead and, and put something together. So I wrote an article called Which Coffee Asshole Are You? Which was my first attempt at writing a blog. And it actually did pretty well from a response wise because we all are coffee assholes. So I thought I would talk about it. You know, I only talked into my phone, put something together kind of quick and had some fun with it. So this is a highlight from episode number one where I get into um, the kind of asshole that only drinks Tim Hortons or Starbucks and refuses to change. Here you go. And then there's, of course, these people. They only drink Tim Hortons, Starbucks, coffee time, or Dunkin' Donuts, refuse to drink any other kind of coffee. You can go down. Going up seems to be a more difficult journey for these people. All right, I can go, if I'm floating around and it's like all, all there is is Tim Hortons in Glasgow. In fact, when I'm in Glasgow, Scotland, they have a Tim Hortons right downtown. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go feel Canadian for half a day. And just as like three months ago, I went in there and ordered an Americano and it was terrible. I'm sorry. It was just terrible. And I don't know how you mess up an Americano, but they did in Glasgow. So... I'll give it a go. I'll go down. But getting these people to move up, it's really, really tough. You know, it's 50 cents more, whatever. They got to wait in line. You know, they don't have a drive through, quote unquote. Give me a break. Give yourself a, 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 some coffee culture. Get in there. Go try it. You're an asshole for not trying it. So, yeah, friends, do yourself a favor. Live a little bit. Try some new things. And don't be that coffee asshole. So in episode two, uh, I was joined by my good friend, Darren Grieve, who is in the sky trying to keep citizens of Vancouver in the lower mainland uh, safe in traffic and, and tell us what's going on in the world out there to make sure that we're uh, getting to and from work in a timely fashion. And he was also uh, at Fox for a long time in Vancouver, which is where I first met him. Uh, him and Todd Hancock had a great uh, afternoon show that uh, they kept the rock flag flying. And so Darren also joined the coffee journey roughly around the same time as I did in uh, about a year and a half ago. And so I was curious as to how his journey was going, what he was up to, where he was taking it, you know, how it's, you know, how he's making it. Again, as I'm putting together a podcast, it, it, there's not really any rules. I, I sat down in a hotel, asked him a few questions and we started chinwagging over the idea that that we're both on this together and how, how are we making our coffee what are we doing what are the you know different things that we're discovering together so Darren was great for that uh, as mentioned he's joining me this weekend at Beanstalk in Vancouver and we're going to uh, walk around and learn what we can about uh, local coffee and and uh, hopefully uh, take what we've learned so far bring it to the table and educate you guys so in episode two Darren joined me and uh, I was curious as to what gear he was working on. And this is what he told me. But what are you working on a gear wise? And what would you, you know, how did you start with it? Because, 
you know, and where are you at now with your gear? Because I'm I'm kind of in this hybrid zone of like organically doing it versus like machine doing it. So where are you at? Yeah, and when I first got serious about coffee, I got a mocha pot, which is what you know all the Italian coffee makers. If they're not using an espresso machine, they're probably going to use the mocha pot. It's just a stove top pot. Uh, so I started out doing that, and that's again a, sort of a um, you know there's no machine involved in in making your cup of coffee there. That was a lot of fun. But then I started hearing about how wonderful the AeroPress was, and I heard about it for a long time. Thought, well, they must be expensive if they're that good. They're like forty dollars. You can buy them at all kinds of different places. They're just made of plastic. They're actually made so that you can make a cup of coffee when you're out camping or hiking. So they they weren't. They just happen to make an amazing cup of coffee. But the idea was just for you to be able to do it out in the middle of the bush, still have a decent cup of coffee instead of having to tough out instant coffee while you're camping. So for forty dollars, forty five dollars, this thing. I mean, they you talk about those coffee contests they have aeropress contests around the world and this is probably my favorite piece of uh, you know my my favorite coffee tool uh, the aeropress but the other one that i've been playing with the last six months or so is a chemex it's just a glass uh had one today you know, so you know what i'm talking about For people that don't know it's what they call a pour over so you basically pour the water into the filter and it drips down into this big uh, jug that that's what a pour over is and the the type i have is a chemex just because it looks cool and it was designed by this dude who was actually a scientist i believe back in the early 1900s so it just looks really cool sitting on the kitchen counter that's kind of why i got that i kind of geeked out as it turns out it's a lot of fun trying to make coffee on that too but if i'm going to make espresso or cappuccino i have a breville machine as well that i've, I've been playing with so it's become a hobby. Uh, the cup of coffee is always great, but I enjoy the process of weighing out the beans on a scale and making sure the water is at the right temperature and whatever you have to do with the espresso machine. I still fuck that up all the time. Every every single batch of beans I bring home, you need to grind them in different ways, so you waste a bunch of cups, but it's a fun process. It keeps me out of trouble, too. So in episode three, Todd Kearns, who plays bass with Slash, might be the biggest Seinfeld fan that I know next to me I mean anytime we're together anytime I see him there's a substantial amount of Seinfeld talk and I thought he would be the perfect guest to bring on because Seinfeld had just turned 30 I wanted to change things up a little bit and talk about the best coffee scenes from the show because the show was based on coffee they were they were in a coffee shop all the time most of the problems that they did or solved were done through coffee Jerry went on to actually form Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. And, you know, it was just one of those things where who better to have on than Todd? You know, this for these first 10 episodes were, were coffee casts and coffee based. And Todd was one of those guys where uh, I know he drinks coffee, but he's not actually a, a coffee head per se like some of the other guests that, that I have. Uh, he just goes and drinks it. Uh, so I wanted to merge the coffee and our love of Seinfeld together to review, you know, the top scenes from Seinfeld. I thought the episode came out really funny. Uh, we had a good time chatting about it. Uh, Todd's always a gracious guest. Make sure you check out his band, Took, uh, with uh, fellow Canadian Brent Fitz, who's also on the podcast, which we'll talk about later on. And he's got, uh, he's with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. He was in Age of Electric. He's got a solo record. It's, it's, uh, it's great. He's a, a super talent, and I was happy to have him. So in episode three, we started talking about our favorite Seinfeld episodes. I broke down the top five, 
Seinfeld scenes, what I thought were the top five Seinfeld scenes. And we both came up with the conclusion that uh, this was one of our faves. So here we go. The best line, you know, who told you to put the bomb on? It's just, yeah. it's just oh, forget God. it. Anything with Jackie Childs is gold. Uh, I mean, there's so many that, so many times that has happened with the, the smoking episode when Kramer like had a smoking lounge in his apartment and, <laughs> and they tried to sue the tobacco companies. And then this time it was he spilled hot coffee on himself, and which was a parallel and a play on the uh, the story of the person who had spilled McDonald's coffee on themselves. You remember that story? Yeah. And they burned themselves and they tried to, they tried to, uh, or I don't know, I don't know how successfully they sued McDonald's, but uh, it was basically the same idea. But Java World was the, uh, <laughs> was the uh, coffee shop that he, uh, like, cause he says, I've been drinking cafe latte since the fifth grade and I never looked back. It's just like, you know, it's just the strangest things to say. And the fact so is that this he, your, is this your favorite episode? This that's, one? That's my favorite of the coffee episode so because he, he, he's so yeah. jacked up on the, you know, you can't, don't look at me. I want, I want a cafe latte. When I want a cafe latte, I'll get a cafe latte. <laughs> just whacked out. He's good because he's getting, he ends up settling on getting free coffee. It was free coffee plus, but he goes, I'll take it. He shakes his hand. He totally messes it up. The 50,000 yeah. or. Yeah. It yeah, was they, like, it was going to be like free coffee plus a cash, you know, settlement. But he just took the free coffee. And Jackie Childs, of course, has a heart attack about that. He's constantly like, he still takes. He still takes Kramer's business all the time, but it always ends up in some sort of colossal failure. What's your favorite, like, this is your favorite, is this your favorite episode of Seinfeld or is this your favorite coffee-related episode of Seinfeld? I think it's just my favorite coffee-related. I mean, I had a very yeah, difficult yeah. time discussing what, there's some really amazing yeah. Seinfeld episodes because of the, there's the one that's backwards when they go to uh, yeah. Susan Meshke's wet wedding in India. Yeah. There's a lot of those that are just brilliant. A lot of my friends that are hardcore Seinfeld fans, they kind of fall out towards the last couple seasons because it starts to get really crazy. But I actually really like some of that stuff that gets when they start to get really far fetched with Kenny Rogers Chicken and That's my all, favorite episode. That's I, that's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely my favorite episode. That is the uh, best. The, and, you know, which they end up switching apartments. Yeah, yeah. And they switch personalities essentially. They switch personalities. It was one of my favorite I, things whenever Jerry's sipping a coffee and he always goes, That's a shame. Whenever something something's happening, he his comment is always kind of that's a shame. Because nothing really ever affects Jerry. It's always sort of He's always sort of like completely unaffected by whatever's going around. So that particular episode, so the they spill the coffee. He gets the bomb on. He loses everything. Uh, you know, he could have got everything. He he made the bad decision, loses everything, and then he's back to square one. And the maestro gave him the bomb, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the maestro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That whole thing is insane, too. Like, Bob, the maestro. You go, Who told you to put the bomb on? Well, the maestro. And he goes, who the hell's the maestro? It's chaos. <laughs> A byproduct of what I do for a living is travel the, you know, is travel around. I run concerts for a living. I have an opportunity to visit some great coffee regions around and meet some amazing people. One of the greatest uh, discoveries of coffee has been, I can't believe how it brings people together. I really, it was not in my life. And here we are. Uh, uh, with a podcast, it's just the stupidest thing in the world to me that I would be this far into <laughs> coffee when it was never a part of my life. But hey, here we are. So I had the benefits of um of traveling with some great coffee minds and some great people, and also some great musicians. And one of those musicians was Ray Legere from the band Corn. And Corn recently had a coffee brand come out. And when Ray found out that I was, you know, 
making coffee, you know, on a daily basis at the, at the shows uh, in my office and was discovering that I had put a podcast out. He said to me, you've got to go and talk to Jeremy Gersey, who made our coffee. So the more I researched Jeremy, the more I realized what a story this guy has. And I, I was in California and I asked him if he would come on. He said, absolutely. We actually filmed a bunch of stuff for the YouTube channel. Uh, which is going to come out uh, soon, and it looks really, really cool. And Jeremy's story about invading Hollywood with his coffee has been one of the most talked about episodes. Uh, over the, the, I, I had to split it up over two because we talked so long. But he uh, is a you know great guy with a great story, and everyone who talks to me about listening to the podcast says to me, Oh, that story about Jeremy is really, really cool. Like, I can't believe he did this or how he broke it in or, you know, did he say what Tom Cruise was like or whatever? It was really cool to kind of hear people react to Jeremy in this way because he really is a like fantastic guy uh, that made time for me as I'm launching this thing and has a great story to tell. So we broke it up into two episodes. So in episode one, we really get into how he started and how he cracked Hollywood. So I went, you know, I wanted to find out like just how hard was it to, to make it just how hard was it to crack that, you know, secret society. And it seems like, uh, it took a lot of work, but it also seemed that like once he cracked it, he was off to the races and uh, this is what he had to say about it. What's the first, uh, the first thing that happens, you get on site and then, you bring it to the masses, and this is you're, you're, you're making coffee for the crew, or is it just strictly for the for this, the uh, uh, act, my, actors? My first contract was with the production office uh, for the office people. They loved it. I ran. This is my first day in business. I went to the casting director's office. He hired me. He had only eight people in his office. Then he sent me as a gift to the production office. I made about forty drinks there, and they were like. I'm a kid at this point. I'm 19, skinny little scrawny kid. And they go, hey, kid, you know, can you come back tomorrow to the set? We're going to give you a map and uh, we'd like you to serve these on set. So that was my first day of, of work. I made in two hours what I made the entire week working at the coffee place. Were you charging per cup or were you I just charging, charging per cup? You were charging that, per at cup. At that point, yeah. And so did you find that once you started with that, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I need, I need to add 45 people and I need to be on every movie set. Well, what was the deal there? It, it was pretty bizarre, actually. I ended up getting a pager, like within a couple of days of starting the business. And they basically, I would be sitting in class because I'm in college at the time and like a drug dealer, man, my pager would go off and we're just spread. I didn't do anything. Somebody on uh, Edward knew someone on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 7, and I would get these calls. Hey, are you the kid that jacks everyone up on caffeine? We need you to come. And then what happened is I met a guy who was a big uh, catering uh, guy, and he said, screw this. I'm not going to have you uh, charge per cup. I'm going to give you a flat fee. And that started the whole Netflix approach of it where it's all you can drink, and I pioneered the all you can drink for a flat fee based on the size of the crew and stuff. And, and now that's pretty much the standard of uh, coffee catering. So then from there, it's taken off. It's crazy. You're on movie sets. It's like, did you have to add people? Was it just you? Did we have to kind of like 
figure out what your actual plan was going to be moving forward to sustain it? Or was it just one of those things where you're just kind of going with it and the work was flowing in and you just, you just kind of kept going with it? You know, it was a very interesting process because it started obviously out of my parents' garage and it started with just me. My second week in business, I hired my best friend. I gave him a pager. I gave him a duplicate of everything I had and he started to go out and he, I couldn't handle all the calls. So he would start taking half my calls. And that was my second week in business. Uh, come like a month later, uh, we were just, it was just nonstop. It was, nobody was doing what we were doing. And it became like a phenomenon. And then what really got me like in with productions was it was, productions would want to hire us on a Friday night. Now I'm, I'm going to give a major trade secret away here. <laughs> Be careful now. Are you sure? We can edit it out with like some kind of like a coffee sound. So I would always, I would book up on a Friday night and I didn't have any, like I didn't have enough employees and didn't have enough uh, coffee bars. And then what happened was I started to make deals with the different TV shows, uh, whatever they were, ER, Seinfeld, uh, Gilmore Girls. And I would, I asked for a contract they would all give me purchase orders and pay for me to be there once a week and so what I did is in trade for that I automatically gave them a spot so I assigned somebody to their account and I had I was doing 50 shows a week like 50 film and television shows a week on average it became so big we would have these big silver refrigerators in our commissary and I would have the truck from the dairy like pull up and just unload gallons and gallons of milk um, then we were roasting coffee and it were became, you roasting on site. We were roasting at our commissary. Originally I roasted, I studied roasting under a master roaster when I first launched the company and I didn't know how to roast and I became an apprentice and he took me under his wing and he kind of taught me how to taste, how to source, how to buy coffee. Uh, he was really instrumental in letting me use his credit because I'm 19 years old, right out of high school. I didn't have credit. So I would piggyback his green coffee orders and he would let me put bags on there. So I would get net 30 days and that really, that was a big help. Like he really, I credit him for really giving me my start. We move on to episode five and... You know, you've heard the the story, you know, he cracks it, he becomes Tom Cruise's uh, barista and all this cool stuff starts happening to him. But, you know, it's funny that Seinfeld would play a, a significant part in th this podcast. It's weird. I mean, he's, he's been featured in, you know, number three, number four, number five now, but it's just because Jeremy ended up, be, you know, being on the last three seasons of Seinfeld and also you know, the Curb Your Enthusiasm and all the rest of it. And it was really, really cool to hear how he cracked that. I wanted to find out how he became Mocha Joe. And conveniently, when we confirmed Jeremy as a guest and then came on to talk about it, when I went to launch these episodes, HBO had just announced that they were coming back out with Curb Your Enthusiasm in episode 10, or sorry, season 10. And they were coming back with Mocha Joe. And I'm like, well, I've got Mocha Joe. Mocha Joe is my guest for two weeks. I've got the real Mocha Joe. So I thought it would be great for Jeremy to talk a little bit about how he got on that set and how he became the basis of Mocha Joe. So have a listen to this. I was doing movie after movie after movie. Could not break into television with my coffee. 
Um, usually you're in TV, you can't break into film. I'm doing film after film. I did Dust Till Dawn. I was a Men in Black, Jerry Maguire. Didn't have my children at that time. And, but couldn't get a break in television. And so I was in film school. I went, that's what I studied in school. And I basically went through the credits of two TV shows that I knew shot on the same lot. Uh, one was a show called Hearts of Fire, which uh, starred the late John Ritter and Billy Bob Thornton. And the other one was Seinfeld. I knew they shot on the same lot. And so what I did is, um, more trade secrets here. You mean they didn't shoot in New York City? What? 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 <laughs> no. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Actually, Studio City. So what I did is I scanned the credits. I took the producer's name out of the credits, and I cold called the production office. I asked to speak to the producer of Hearts of Fire, and I scanned the credits of Seinfeld, and I knew who the, I saw who the producer was of that show. And I used her name, and I randomly said, I called up this guy. He got on the phone with me. I said, hey, is this Doug Jackson? Yes, it is. I go, my name's Jeremy. I have this company, Mocha Kiss. We do all the coffee on Seinfeld. It was a complete lie. I didn't know anybody on Seinfeld. I said, yeah, Nancy Sproul. She's the producer. She told me you would be interested. Complete BS was all a lie. She, he goes, oh, yeah, I know, who, I know who Nancy is. I don't know her, but I know who she is. Well, if you're good enough for Seinfeld, we'll try you out and we'll give you a shot. And if we don't like you, we'll never use you again. So that got me on the actual film lot. And then I got on Hearts of Fire. And then what did I do? I took drinks over, found Nancy Sproul. She didn't actually drink coffee, but I gave her uh, associates coffee. And they said, wow, well, if you're good enough for Hearts of Fire, we'll try you out. They tried me. And that's how I got on Seinfeld. And what from there, I started to work on the writer's room. And I would actually sit in writer's meetings while they're writing episodes of Seinfeld. They literally used to open up the USA Today. Larry David was at the head of the table. You had all the writers. And I would sit there making them coffees, listening to how they write these amazing shows like Lobster Hands, The Bizarro. I mean, all these episodes that are iconic. And he used to go, hey, Mocha Joe. Because he, he knew I was Mocha Kiss, and he used to call me Joe. So he put the two names together, and next thing you know, I'm Mocha Joe. And then he would start interacting with me on set, and then, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And I would be carrying a tray of coffee. He'd come and, like, you know, see me outside. What, what you got there, Mocha Joe? What, 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 what? And he's, like, looking at everything. And uh, that's how it started. And then uh, he actually left the show in the final season. And then I, I went from, uh, the, I've worked the last three seasons of the show. One of the coolest things that I also get to do is just uh, when you have a podcast and you have an opportunity to create content and make things happen, you also have an opportunity to just randomly email or text people. And I was given a phone number of Dave Ellison, the bass player from Megadeth. And I was saying to myself, this is crazy because, you know, I loved Megadeth growing up and, and, uh, you know, loved, uh, I saw him a few times and it was just this weirdness of like, I can't just text them. Like, you know, who am I? I'm a guy from Canada, uh, with a coffee podcast. I mean, the guy has sold millions of records. He's not going to want to come on and talk per se, but the great thing is, is coffee brings us together. He's got his own coffee brand called Elfson Coffee. And a friend of mine in the business thought he would be great to come on and talk. And so I reached out to Dave. Dave got back to me right away and said, I'd love to come on. Gave me some time. And it was great. The guy has created his own brand of coffee. He was one of the first people to create his own brand of coffee, sells it around the world. He makes brands for other, other bands I couldn't thank him enough for coming on. I mean, and then he came and visited me in Phoenix, brought me a, uh, his book and brought me a, um, 
a bag of the coffee as well. So just such a great guy and so happy to have him as part of this journey of me building this out. As I said, I couldn't like this, these first 10 guests, like what am I, you know, I might as well just quit now. I mean, this is like for me a dream. This is like the, you know, these, these 10 guests that I have to help launch this thing is a dream come true. And it's just proving that when you go and put yourself out there from a content standpoint and you try to have stories to tell to people that you can attract all sorts of, of characters and people from around that, that are interested in what you're doing. So Dave, thanks for your time. Uh, in this episode, we get into what it was like to launch this thing from the ground up, uh, going brick and mortar to selling it online, to touring around the world and trying to find a good bean. And I asked him the question about, you know, what is next for him and what he's been up to. Uh, they make a lot of coffee for other bands, you know, so he talks a little bit about that and what it was like to launch it. So this is Dave Allison from Megadeth in episode six. <laughs> thing with starting our company is we we started with zero capital you know again put it online someone else was roasting it my name is on it first bag showed up i made a profit you know so i was profitable from bag one and that was important to me because i did not want to take my rock star money to just dump it into a coffee company and go broke you know um so for me it's always been about sort of managing the uh cash flow, managing the investment into it. Um, and, um, and it should be fun. You know, I don't want this to be something that like keeps me up all night and I'm running around crazy. I mean, I got quite honestly, I did get to a certain point where it was sort of like the next probably most cost effective method of the, of the, of the, uh, product chain would be for me to just buy a roasting machine and you know, somehow talk my wife into roasting my coffee for me, you know, which I don't think she was up for that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we do some things like rock and rose. We give, we give a little, a small portion of the profits over to the Rose organization, which is, which is a breast cancer awareness organization out of Houston. We give, uh, we just did, we, we started two roasts that we're doing for the recording Academy, which is the Grammys, which go to a uh, portion of the proceeds go to help the music cares program. Um, which is part of part of their initiative over there. So it's nice to have some things that we can, you know, do to serve and give back and, you know, bolster our community. Um, like I say, doing the artist roasts is fun because, um, you know, Autograph, they, they do well. I mean, they buy a lot of coffee from us and then they turn around and sell it at their merch, at their merch booth. I mean, and, um, you know, so they, they do well. I mean, it's kind of like, going to a merch company and making a t-shirt for five bucks and turning around selling it for 20. And, um, it's just another way to have some cool, uh, conversational merchandise items. Thanks again, Dave. Love the band. Uh, can't wait to have some coffee with you down in Phoenix, down the road. Episode seven. It was time for me to get a girl on the show. Uh, I mean, I'm surrounded by all sorts of people when I travel, but um, I wanted to really reach out and get, uh, get a girl to come on and, and talk about coffee and it can be a little bit more difficult than you think. And luckily through my sponsorship of Leverpresso, it connected me with Lex Albrecht from Montreal, who was a professional cyclist uh, for team Tipco and team Canada. Uh, and we have a mutual friend uh, who's uh, our Olympian friend, Mercedes Nickel, up in Merce up in uh, Whistler, BC, uh, which we didn't realize at the time until I found out uh, a little bit later on. 
and it was great. So Lex has been really busy. She's one of the most active Instagram uh, people I've seen. She's got a great fun story, a great feed, and she's always traveling with some of the best coffee and coffee products uh, on the go. And I thought I would get her on the show uh, to talk a little bit about her life and a little, uh, you know how it came together. And then she was racing uh, George LaRock, a former NHLer, on an F1 track uh, for the third time coming up after. And I believe that race has happened and she won again and she beat George again. So I guess he's got some work to do. So thanks to Lex for coming on board. Uh, in episode seven, I uh, I wanted to chat with her about routine because one of those things about being an Olympic, you know, being a, an athlete, I'm sure there is, uh, unlike us that, uh, you know, aren't as regular with our routines. Um, she has a standard routine that she has to follow every single day in order to make her at the top of her game and be able to compete professionally. Um, and my question to her, and we talked a great deal about her history, but we also chatted a bit about her routine. So in this episode, she kind of dove into what it's like to travel still stay you know active but you know not forget her morning coffee routine and this is what she had to say about it it showed me basically we have a, a mutual love of the lever presso brand blend and i or brand sorry and i found you know found you that way just through a hashtag it was the funniest thing and i no way and uh because you, you use it a lot and now you must also be the most caffeinated cyclist on the planet. I'd have to think because what you're traveling with gear wise is some pretty, <laughs> it's some pretty uh, heavy, heavy stuff. It's pretty great to watch you break it out every day and show the world, you know, coffee on the go, coffee in the hotel. We all, anyone who travels like us who did, you know, for a living and where we go, it's always a struggle to find great coffee in a hotel, but outside of, yep. you know, you don't always have time to just go out and explore the city. Sometimes you're just in for a day and out, or you got a full training schedule like you do, I'm sure. So being able to say travel with a great bean or, or great product to make your experience better, I'm sure is, oh. is a godsend. So yeah. it makes all the difference. And like I mentioned before, you know, with all the travel and being on the road all the time, there's a, a big, um, sense of, I guess, instability, which can be thrilling, but it can also be kind of exhausting in a way. And when your job is to perform physically at the top level, uh, the instability of the lifestyle and unpredictability, I guess, it can be a little bit of a challenge. So to kind of eliminate, not necessarily eliminate that factor, but to kind of lower that, I try to maintain a consistent routine regardless of where I am in the world. And the one thing that I can maintain is to start my day off with an amazing coffee. So that's why I travel with this really cool coffee gear. Um, it's just so that I know that regardless of where I am, I'm going to have my little coffee routine in the morning you know I, I grind my beans with a hand grinder not just to have the freshly ground beans which makes all the difference but just because you know it's part of the ritual I guess and then it's so much fun to play with the different gadgets that I have so like you mentioned the lever presso uh, I use like AeroPress I have different um, accessories for my AeroPress too I have a plug-in mocha pot I do pour overs I have like these foldable foldable uh, paper um pour over filters that are from Japan actually that are really really cool or I have uh, you know plastic and glass ones I have uh, so many coffee gadgets and I just I love 
playing with them and trying them out and uh, just tweaking my methods of brewing coffee. And, you know, I just, I just enjoy having that little session of me time in the morning, having my coffee. And yet then, you know, I'm ready for whatever the day throws at me. Thanks, Lex. So much fun to have you on. Can't wait to have coffee with you in Montreal. If I go to all the places where these guests are from, I'm, my coffee tour will, will take me to loads of other places. So hopefully we'll meet down the road and uh, we'll have you back on down the road when we circle back around to talk about coffee. And good luck uh, with Lex versus LaRock in, you know, part four, which maybe he's too chicken to do this time, but we'll see. So we get into... A good friend of mine, Brent Fitz, I've known for a long, long, long time. Plays drums with Slash. Um, plays with Tuke with Todd, who was my episode three guest, and has a storied history in the music business. But also was the first real major coffee head that I met. Brent Fitz was coffee crazy. One of the first things uh, I ever discovered about him before I even drank coffee. So I, I at that point didn't understand it, but I do now, of course. Uh, and it turns out Brent and Ray from Corn were great old friends that had met in L.A. years and years and years ago. This episode was fun for me because it was like bringing two brothers back together that hadn't seen each other in three years or something. They'd been out on the, you know, touring and, and crossing over wherever they could, but not really having any time. So luckily for you listeners, I don't speak much in that episode. That's why you're getting it all now. I got a chance to ask a few questions, but those two had a great chat. It was like listening to two uh, brothers catch up over time. And uh, it was a fun episode for me to listen back to. And everyone that's listening to it is like, this is great. And anyone that was tuning in to hear Drummer Talk was not, uh, was was sadly uh, very disappointed because we spent all the time on coffee. <laughs> so we talked for an hour. I was in Jacksonville. Uh, Ray was in Franklin and Tennessee and Brent was in Vegas and we put our heads together to come up with uh, a bit of a coffee chat and about their tour around the world and uh, doing it as well and so they got a little bit into their coffee routine and this is what they had to say maybe I'm crazy but I'll drink a, a Turkish coffee at like 10 at night and, and <laughs> deal with the consequences <laughs> okay okay you're nuts because I have I'm a mass insomnia like I've I, I, have really bad insomnia so and i don't know if it's the caffeine or what i just don't sleep or i sleep in like one or two hour increments and i get up and it's really annoying lifestyle but that's so i i try not to drink coffee past six just in case that's part of the culprit unless you, know? you walk past my office right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you walk past my office it's but, like you ever see that uh it's like that scene like you walk past the office and then you kind of go you walk past and then like eight seconds later you kind of walk back and then peek in going what's going on in here and then I, i'm like all right i guess i'm breaking the lever press out, and here we go it never fails to donnelly's always like every time i pass your office it's always like no matter what morning noon or night you know it's it's like you're like hey hey, hey ray hey have you tried this one? Check this out. Hey, check this. And it's like, you'll be like in the middle of doing all this business corporate stuff. And all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 this, this is really important. This bean right here. Check out what I'm doing. And you're, you should explain what you made with the, the cup thing in the, in catering. What the heck was that all about? You know what I'm talking well, about? There was, there was, uh, well, I was traveling with the lever presso. I had, so I was making like the portable espressos. I also had an AeroPress so I'm traveling with, Yeah. Uh, which I was making. I think that's what you're referring to. Um, so, 
Fitzy knows about the Tim Wendelbow place in Oslo, Norway, which is renowned as like the top Aeropress cafe in the world. Which I recently anyways. got to attend and go to, thanks to <laughs> Brent the, Donnelly. It's the <laughs> best. What This is the insanity, by the way, Fitz, because you were the coffee guy, but here we are um, directing you around the world. But it's the Aeropress, which is, you know, basically people feel it's one of the things that makes one of the best coffees in the world. And you can make it any style. I learned how to make an espresso inside of it. Uh, with one of those old spice jars we were I was experimenting around but one of the first days that I had we had a new shipment of corn coffee and I think it was in West Palm Florida actually Ray yeah um I actually was making the corn coffee with the with the aeropress and so Ray was just sitting down <laughs> visiting with his friends and whatever it was and I was just kept dropping cups of coffee in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you had a click track going that night, but I'm pretty sure you blew it out. <laughs> uh, we just kept blowing coffee out, like you know, th- th- just giving him coffee all, you know, just try this one and try this one and yeah, and then like you know, head would come over and he'd be like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm making AeroPress." He's yeah. like, "Oh, if I loved," he goes, "If I loved coffee, I'd have some, but just give it to Ray." So yeah. I gave it to Ray. So Ray just kept getting the AeroPress all the time. And, and it was just a funny gag. And then it would suck because, you know, if I had actual work to do, I'd be in the process of making the AeroPress and then, Oh, can I have one? Oh, can I have one? And then it just started. You yeah. Know, uh, yeah. I still, I still don't get the whole thing of people that don't like coffee at all. Or you know, like, I don't really understand it, but then again, that's everyone's got their own taste. And uh, I'm one of those weirdos. that's never done a drug in my life. I never really got that either. So I, you know, me but, too, Ray, you know, hey, I, I, I Maybe we're rare, but the thing is, coffee is promoting good rock and roll because it's it's you know it's a positive yeah. uh, stimulant. And to me, it's like you know you want to have an exciting rock and roll concert, and to me, having a coffee before a show is is a perfectly good excuse to have a good show. <laughs> so I make sure I have a coffee. Don't do drugs, kids. Just drink coffee. Episode nine. One of the things that I was trying to keep rolling through on everybody. If you go back and listen, you know, I tried to tie everything back to the first episode where I asked everybody which kind of coffee asshole they were. And some gave, you know, I'm some gave very, very uh, specific answers and some decided they weren't. Uh, Some thought that uh, they were a certain kind. Uh, It was so much fun to kind of watch uh, or listen to that. And, and I, so in episode nine, as we were winding down my chat with Brent Ray and part two there, we got into which kind of coffee asshole they were. And it's a delicate question for some, because in essence, you're calling them an asshole, but we all know that we're all a coffee asshole in some capacity, which we touch on. So basically I've asked them the question. Uh, they kind of went back and forth a bit about it, and uh, but inevitably, they both are, and this is what they had to say. Which coffee asshole are you? Are you the <laughs> coffee snob, or are you just like what you know? What would you deem yourself as a coffee uh, connoisseur, an uh, asshole? What kind of asshole do you think you are? Uh, go ahead, Fitz. <laughs> well, I'll, I will say this only because when I um, when I look back at all the years of enjoying coffee, I started drinking instant coffee. And I graduated to brewed coffee to, you know, but lots of milk and lots of sugar. And then when Starbucks showed up in my life, I was still drinking, you know, latte sugary drinks. And then 
you know, fast forward to many years later and, and I'm drinking espresso and little cortados with no, um, no sugar and enjoying, you know, coffee for its purity. But when I go over the border to Canada, to my homeland, I'm sorry, but I turn into like, it just gets dumbed down and I have, I have to order and I'm, I'm sadly, I'll be promoting Tim Horton's double, double because it's a brewed <laughs> coffee full of milk and sugar. And I just can't not drink it. And it made my mom, will, it, my mom will be a big proponent of what you just said. So yeah. And it's bad because you know, there's so many great coffee shops, but I I'm okay with it. So I'm, I'm not a snob. I, I enjoy coffee. So I, I enjoy as many great, you know, proper drinks with good beans and everything, but I'll also enjoy coffee in its, in its form that it got me to where I am today, which is, you know, some milk and sugar, not very often, but I do slip and I'll, I'll have that. So I, I don't think that's a snob. No, <laughs> no. Ray, Ray, does that mean that you go to Dunkin' Donuts or are you kind of like, nah, man? You know what? Uh, because of my wife, my lo- wife loves it. She'll go get an iced coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, try this. I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. So every once in a while, I'll, I will get a dark roast at, at Dunkin' Donuts in the airport. Well, if it's as convenient. long as you're, you know, whatever yeah. anyone, it's everyone's individual thing. So it doesn't really matter where they get it as long yeah. as, uh, as long as they're drinking it, which is, uh, yeah. which is the key thing here. And I'm not, I'm not by any means a, 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 a snob. I'm, I'm kind of like Fitz. I, I don't, I don't really, um, I will go back and I will, I love good, great coffee. Trust me. Like I, I will, search long long and, and high for it but there's sometimes you just need to have it thanks fellas two of the best drummers in the world uh doing great things check out corn's new record check out the new toque record check the new kxm record out from ray um check the slash featuring miles kennedy and the conspirator records busy busy guys doing great things uh if you have an opportunity to see them or meet them sometime uh bring up coffee and uh settle in because uh, they have a lot to say about it. Great guys, thanks you. Uh, thanks to both of them for coming on. It was awesome. So we culminate in episode ten. I like to use this episode as maybe a little bit of like everything that I had learned up to this point about coffee. But I had one of the the, the foremost coffee professionals in the world on Tim Wendelbo from Oslo, Norway, who has my favorite coffee in the world, uh, and is also uh, has one of my favorite cafes in the world. It's an AeroPress cafe. It's amazing. Tim is uh, was one of the most requested guests once I started going down the coffee path and I started going in and filming for YouTube in the these different coffee shops around North America and the world. People were asking me, oh, you got to make sure you get Tim Wendelbow on. Literally, literally, like almost every single cafe I went into was saying, you got to try to get Tim Wendelbow. So part of that was I'm a little bit like reluctant to have, you know, to, to dive fully into the coffee conversation with Tim because a, it happens to him every single day and I'm sure he's sick of it. Uh, and I'm sure there's roasters and, and super pros in this business that have real like hardcore questions for him. So I went about it in a bit of a different approach and I just, I wanted to have a casual conversation with Tim about the coffee business um, and ask him a few questions that I had on my end from what I had learned so far. And then uh, I had some friends join me from Flamingo in Jacksonville and Jeremy Gersey jumped back on to ask a few questions uh, from a roasting standpoint. So that was a blast. Tim uh, was gracious enough to give me a lot of time and uh, 
and we, we did an hour, but uh, I'm sure we could have kept going. But uh, thanks again, Tim. I couldn't, um, I couldn't, uh, I can't thank you enough for that. And one of the issues that was really important for me to cover off, uh, which I thought Tim could answer the best out of anybody um, that I've spoken to around the world at this point, was what is happening in the coffee business? Because it is a bit controversial right now. There are people um, taking advantage of women and children and uh, kids that, um, you know, are having to go into the fields and work for next to nothing because the the price on coffee is so low and, you know, farmers are overrun with coffee and, and having to just get it out and it's putting the business into a bad spot. So Tim formed or, or joined a coalition um, called The Pledge, which you know, brought some awareness to people about where they're getting their coffee from, pledging to set the price uh, that these guys uh, pay, as well as show you what they're paying per pound. So it's important that you guys uh, listen back to that episode if you have some questions about how the coffee business works. And if you really want to support the business properly, finding out what your favorite roaster is paying per pound and trying to support people that are doing uh, paying fair. So, you know, people are being paid fair and not being taken advantage of. So Tim had this to say about it in episode 10. What's your take on what's happening with, there's a lot of controversies in the coffee business right now with the way people are being worked or, you know, where people are getting their beans from. And sometimes there's women and children involved that are working long hours all days and for little pay. What is your take on that? I mean, how are you, are you trying to combat that with the way that your method, you know, your method of finding your beans and, and, and being conscious of trying to find the best farmers that, that are doing the best for the city environments? Like what's your take on that? side of the business business right now well this is something that i i probably speak about this every day actually because uh there's a lot of uh uh, i would say misinformation in our industry and a lot of people claiming things that are might not be exactly true but uh uh because i'm staying on a farm in for for at least three months a year in colombia because i own my own farm um i bought a piece of land from a farmer that i buy coffee from and uh I spent three months a year there farming or working on my farm myself. So I, I stay in his house and I get to talk to Elias a lot. Um, and uh, he is telling me stories and, you know, I can see what people are doing in the Colombian market, at least the buyers, some of them claiming that they're, you know, paying very good prices, but when it all comes down to it, it's, you know, not sustainable for the farmers to sell the coffees for those prices, even though they're higher in their, than the market price. Um, so one of the issues uh, in coffee is that um, most people are looking to the international coffee exchange or the uh, ice price or the market price for a commodity coffee, which is today around $1 and $1 per pound of green coffee. And uh, uh, the, the production cost is more often than not higher than $1 per pound for a farmer. So that means the farmers are losing money when they produce coffee. So before we even can start talking about, you know, paying the workers better and so on, we have to start paying more for the coffee. Um, And the problem is that in specialty coffee, uh, people still compare themselves to the market price of commodity coffee. But to to produce good coffee, you need to take more care. You need to pay the pickers more to pick only ripe coffee cherries. You need to be more kind of... uh, 
hands-on with the process and drying and storage and milling. So it costs a lot more to produce that coffee than the normal commodity coffee that you'll typically find in the supermarkets. So if, for instance, a roaster say, you know, I'm a specialty roaster and I pay 20% above market price. And if they're referring to the C market, then that means they're still not paying for production costs. <laughs> so fortunately, there's someone doing something about that today. And uh, there's uh, like... Uh, a group of uh, roasters who, including myself, who have signed something called the pledge where we kind of uh, uh, are obliged to publish the prices that we're paying to, for our coffees and how much we're buying and so on. And based on this kind of uh, numbers, um, we can start to establish what is actually a market price for good coffees. And then maybe that's, you know, $3 or $3.50 and then if you're paying lower than that, you're actually paying below market price and not above market price, which would normally be the thing. So when they're paying um, below market prices, that put the that puts the onus on the farmer to, you know, uh, pay less to the workers, correct? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the one thing is for sure in coffee, and that is the farmer is the only person in this uh, kind of chain that is not making money at the moment. And of course, there are many exceptions. And we are paying good prices and there are also many other roasters paying good prices for the coffee. And uh, the reason why I'm doing it is not out of charity. It's because they are my suppliers and I see them as kind of an extension of my team here in Norway. So if I'm not paying them well, they're not going to produce you know, coffee for me. Um, and I've also been working with more or less the same farmers since 2009 and, uh, you know, it's a long-term uh, project that we have together in order to improve the quality of the coffee on their farm. And we're working together. It's not like I'm going down there and dictating them what to do. I'm, I'm visiting them. We're discussing new ideas uh, and also new kind of investment uh, projects for the farms to, in order for them to improve the quality of the coffee. And... Uh, as long as they're kind of determined to do that, I'm determined to buy the coffee for a good price and they know that. So we don't have a contract written or anything. It's a, I mean, we're more or less friends uh, and it's a gentleman's agreement. They know that I'm going to buy X amount of bags of coffee every year. And when they know that, they can also invest in, in the farm and, and also in the processes that I am requiring them to do in order to be able to sell the coffee to me. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to that. Some of you have already heard it before. Some of you, that's the first time. Maybe you're going to look at that and go, man, there's some pretty rad interviews in there. Maybe I should go back and listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really should. You should go back and listen to all those interviews again, uh, especially the Jeremy Gersey one, because you see, Jeremy's going to be my first guest, as I mentioned, uh, next week when we launch. And we're going to kind of revisit, as I mentioned, what he's been kind of going through through this COVID times. But his story is quite amazing and it's a blast to listen to it's really funny he totally invaded hollywood and became mocha joe so he'll join me next week hopefully you'll join me next week i can't thank you enough for joining me this week like share do all the things that you got to do brought to you by my friends at blue microphones hosted live on the dean blundell network weekly and in your ears wherever you get your pods so thank you for listening friends we'll see you next week here we go Hi. 
Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.